Good morning, everybody, and I'm glad to see you all here today. I'm glad you came. Are you glad you came? All right, good. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we have a gift just to say we're glad you came. And if you'll just go to either of the welcome centers on your way out, they'll give you that. I would love to meet you. And my name's Brian, and Connection exists to help people get connected to God and to each other through Jesus. So if you're here for the first time, you are the reason we exist, we together. And God's doing some great things in this church family, and I would love for you to be a part of what's going on here. So let's, let's meet. Well, there are a few things, at least to me, more horrifying than watching a scary movie where somebody is possessed by a demon. Anybody else agree with me on that? And I think that there's a fascination in our culture. Like, what is it about darkness and uh, dementia, like demons and evil that fascinates us so much? Just judging from the shows and the movies that we watch, we must be fascinated. We're spending a lot of money on it. Tell me this. Does anybody here ever watch the show Reaper? Remember that one? How about anybody watch Supernatural? Anybody see the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose? How about uh, go back a little, little bit? Paranormal Activity? All 55 of them. Yeah. Now go back a little further. Anybody else freaked out by The Shining? Here's Johnny and Stephen King. And then how about the granddaddy of them all? Anybody see The Exorcist? I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that movie. Yeah. You know, usually in a list like this, if I'm asking you stuff, I would be throwing pictures on the screen, not doing it with this today. Like, <laughs> I already don't sleep well enough. I'm not going to do that to you. But, uh, man, as I said, there's just few things more horrifying than a scary movie where someone's demon-possessed. Unless there would be actual demon possession. Here's something that might make you go, uh-oh. A news story came out recently this year it's an Irish priest asking for help because he has noticed a dramatic increase in demonic oppression and uh, activity. Father Pat Collins sent word, we are being overwhelmed by the number of requests we have for exorcisms. Send help. And he's not alone. Priests all across the world are asking for support for exorcisms and other demonic activity. It's become a pastoral emergency, according to a news source from a regular news place. You might say, well, some of you, I don't, I don't know where your opinion lies on this subject with the demonic, but some people would say, look, educated modern people know that what people used to refer to as demonic activity is just actually mental illness or some other physical thing. And if you think that, that's fine, but hold on, because not every educated uh, medical staff person thinks that way. Dr. Richard Gallagher is an Ivy League-educated, board-certified psychiatrist. He teaches at Columbia University and New York Medical College, so he knows what he's talking about. He says, as a psychiatrist, I diagnose mental illness. Also, I help spot demonic activity and possession, which is not where he thought he would end up when he was in med school at Yale. Again, this guy knows what he's talking about. He said... He knew about the biblical accounts of demonic activity. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, you know it's in there. And he said, I knew that existed, but I just assumed, again, that this was an ancient people trying to explain things like uh, epilepsy. That now that we've advanced in our knowledge of what happens with the human body, we have another explanation for why people do what they do. And it's not supernatural demonic. But then he started into practice. And here's what he found. He said, I'm a man of science, but what I have seen has convinced me that demonic activity is a real thing. He's, uh, he thinks it's real, and he's seen the evidence. He's seen people suddenly speaking fluent Latin. He's actually seen sacred objects fly off of a shelf. He's seen people talk about things that they should have no knowledge of, hidden secret things 
And how does this person know this? And he tells one story. This just kind of freaked me out a little bit. He said there was one woman, like 90 pounds, soaking wet. She threw a Lutheran deacon who weighed 200 pounds across the room like it was nothing. That's not psychiatry, he says. That's beyond psychiatry. So, welcome to Connection. (laughs) (laughs) This is week three of our series, Asking for a Friend. What we do, we do this every summer. We just say, what do you want to know? What are your questions about life? And what are your questions about faith? What are your questions about the Bible? What are the questions that your friend wants to know and you're kind of embarrassed to ask for yourself? So we've taken your input and feedback. We've done this several summers. So you can go back to our church website and catch the other ones from other summers. Uh, But this is one of the hottest topics that people want to know about. Can people actually be possessed by demons today? Is that a thing? I don't know where you stand on this. I will tell you culturally in the United States, about 90% of Americans will say there is either definitely or probably a God. And we talked about angels last week. And it goes down to like 80% of Americans will say there's definitely or probably angels. But when you start talking about Satan and demons, that number drops down to like about 60%. And uh, it's down there with people who believe in UFOs. So for whatever that says to you. So whatever your current beliefs are, I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful. Whatever you believe, I would just invite you to have an open mind today as we look to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say? And you can make up your own mind as you look through this and think it through. Uh, if, but if you think about it, the existence of malevolent spirits or demons sure would explain an awful lot of the evil that we see in the world today. I don't know if you saw this news story maybe a month ago. A man driving on a Florida road abruptly pulled a U-turn and slammed it, just pedaled to the floor, drove off the road onto a bike path and ran over a dad, killing him and injured, severely injured the two boys that were riding with their dad. He said Satan told him to do it. He'd actually posted on social media before he did it that Satan was running his life. What do you do with something like that? Let's take the Bible. This is what we do here. This is one of the things that's very important to us. It's like a core value that we say, well, what does the Bible say about stuff? So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to the chapter of or chapter 1 of Mark, one of the four Gospels. Uh, if you've got one of these and you have the Bible app, you're welcome to pull that open now. If you don't know what I'm talking about with the Bible app, we go to the Connect table after church. Just go out and hang a left, and they'll help you get that installed on your phone. Great way to look at verses in the Bible. Uh, go ahead and try to find Mark. Don't be embarrassed to use the table of contents. The thing that I found as I've read through the Bible and studied it is that the Bible just speaks very matter-of-factly about the existence of demons. Just there's, there's the world, there's air, there's people, there's demons. And this is an example of an encounter between Jesus and a demon. Let's just go ahead and start reading in chapter 1, verse 21. It says here, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath, Saturday, came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. And the people there in the synagogue were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as like one who had authority, not like their teachers of the law. And I'm going to pause there. We're looking at this, some things that just aren't obvious, like when it says in verse 21, they went to Capernaum. Who's they? Jesus, obviously, but who else? Well, if you just go back a few verses, it says right before this, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two guys. He saw Andrew and Peter, and they were out fishing. They weren't out like, you know, Saturday afternoon just having a pleasant day. They were fishing because that was their business. They're out in boats with nets or fishing, and Jesus calls to them. They already know him, so this isn't weird. He calls out and says, I want you to follow me. And they leave their business, and they follow Jesus. And then you go down to another verse, and he sees same lake, same place, James and John fishing with their dad, Zebedee. It's their family business. Follow me. They also knew Jesus. They left their dad in the boats, and they followed Jesus. They go down to Capernaum, which is also on the lake. So that's who the they are that goes to church on the Sabbath, Saturday, at the synagogue. 
Now, look what happens. This, is, this goes scare, crazy scary. Look down the next verse. So they're in the synagogue. Jesus is invited to teach as the guest rabbi. Just then, a man in their synagogue was, who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I wonder if they had any first-time guests that day in their synagogue. <laughs> You'd be like, what? Can you imagine what the people would be thinking if you show up? Is like, is this normal? Does this guy do this every week? Do they always have somebody interrupting the rabbi when he's teaching? This, this would freak me out. You know, is this guy crazy? Trust me. You may not know a whole lot about Jewish practices at their synagogue, but this is not normal for the synagogue. This doesn't happen. You don't just have demon-possessed people interrupting people. This is, this is scary. Everyone in there would have been as freaked out as you and I would be if somebody today just interrupted me. They, they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to explain it. They didn't know what to do. Fortunately, Jesus was the one teaching, and he absolutely knew what to do with this. He absolutely knew what was going on. If you've got one of these... Uh, a little, you might want to take some notes here. I would just tell you this. There is more to reality than what we can see. That's the biblical position. There is more to reality than what we can see with our eyes. We talked about this with angels last week. We're going to talk about this with demons this week. There's more to reality. And the biblical explanation for this man's bizarre behavior, his rude outburst, is that this human being has been possessed by an evil spirit, a demon. And this is the demon that's speaking because it's taken over this man's body. And Jesus knew that. And as Jesus is teaching much as I am, they would stand to read the scripture and then he would sit down to teach. And the holiness that was coming from Jesus, the power and authority as he taught the Bible in a way that no one had ever heard it before. The man sitting there, just pretend he's sitting right there in the empty chair. The demon inside him is getting scared or more and more nervous because he's saying, Oh my gosh, what's, what's he doing here? What is he doing here? Because everyone else in the synagogue saw Jesus teaching. They saw a guy, a really gifted teacher, but a guy. The demon knows exactly who Jesus is. I know who you are. You're God. What are you doing here? Are you here to destroy me? What? And he just can't contain his fear anymore, and the demon just yells out in church. And that's what's going on. And according to the Bible, all these people like this man who are possessed by a demon are suffering because Satan is oppressing them. And I want to stop there for a second because I just, right here, I'm fascinated by this and I have so many questions about demons. Maybe you do too. One of the questions that immediately pops into my mind is, what exactly is a demon? What are we talking about? It says evil spirit, but what does that mean? Well, there are actually four theories that different Bible scholars have about who these are. I'm going to give you the four in order of importance to me. They seem like they're more credible as we get closer to number four. But you can make up your own mind about this. There are some people who say, number one, that demons are the deceased spirits of some race that lived on earth before we got here. That they're the spirits of something before God created Adam and Eve in Genesis. There was somebody else here, and that's who we're dealing with. And maybe you think that. Uh, the second one, people, some people say this is uh, the result of angels from heaven marrying human beings and having offspring. And the offspring of an angel and a human being is a demon. You would go back in your Bible if you want to look this up. In Acts, or I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 6, there's, there's a, it's a little verse. It's hard to make much out of it, but it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they had relations. So that's where some people say that, that's where the demons came from. I don't know that I agree with that one either. Again, you can make up your own mind. The third one, I think we're starting to get closer here. Some people believe that the demons are actually the spirits of the evil dead. 
of human beings who were so wicked in their lifetime that when they died and their spirit left their body, some of those evil spirits stayed here, and that's what the demons are. Which, in some people who believe this would say, okay, they're, they're the ghosts that we talk about. And they would say that explains a lot of how they know so many things about other people. Now, there's something interesting. Do you remember, if you're at all familiar with the Bible, do you know, have you heard this before, that Jesus walked on water? Okay, I don't know if you know anything about that. It was in the middle of the night. It was this lake that the guys were fishing on right before they went to synagogue. It was the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' disciples were in a boat rowing across the lake. It was a kind of a stormy night. It was a wild night. And Jesus wasn't with them. He was just going to walk across the lake to get to where they were going and not bother them. But they saw him, and it freaked them out. And do you know what they said when they saw Jesus walking on the water? They say, oh, it's Jesus. That's not what they said. What did they say? It's a ghost. Which doesn't mean that there are ghosts, but it tells me that the disciples believed in ghosts. So, there you go. Maybe that's what demons are, the evil dead. This fourth one is really where I land, but you make up your own mind. I believe that these are fallen angels that were thrown out of heaven when Satan rebelled against God. Satan may have been the highest angel that God created. He rebelled against God. He did not stay where he belonged. He did not submit to God. He was cast out of heaven, and countless angels went with him. They were obedient to Satan. He was their boss, and they were also cast out of heaven. And this is why I, I think that this is what we're talking about. I want to give you some scripture so you don't just see that it's just, I, I'm not just stating my opinion. This is my understanding of scripture. One verse that you might want to look to is towards the end of the Bible. It's in 2 Peter 2, 4. And by the way, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Feel free to take your worship folder home and just look these up and check me out, make sure I'm saying the right thing, or just study it for yourself. But 2 Peter 2, 4 says, God didn't even spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. Now, if you go to the second to last book of the Bible, this is Jude 1, 6. Jude says, I want to remind you of the angels who didn't stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. And God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. So this makes sense when you see other places where Jesus is casting a demon out of someone and the demons are speaking to Jesus and they're begging him, please don't throw us back into the abyss. That's why I believe that what we're seeing here in the Bible is that these demons are these fallen angels that are now in the world. And if I am correct in assuming that a demon is actually a fallen angel, if you were here last week, everything that we talked about with angels metaphysically would describe a demon, which then, if you weren't here, that means the demons are powerful. It means that they understand and can speak to humans. It means that they can't be in more than one place at once. They don't know everything. They're not God. They're powerful, and they know stuff, and they can do things, and they're spiritual. And the Bible says that there's a hierarchy within the angels. There's different levels of authority and different levels of power, and they have a boss. The Bible describes Satan as the leader, and it describes the demons as his angels. So there you go. Now, one mistake, I just want to make sure we're all clear on this. A lot, I hear a lot of people do this. They tend to think of Satan as the, the evil force and God as the good force, and that they're like equal but opposite. Like God is the greatest good and Satan is the greatest evil and somehow they, you know, Satan and his angels are battling against God and his angels and who's going to win? God is the creator and the angels are all created like we are. God has no equal. He has no rival. The only reason Satan isn't gone yet is because it's part of God's plan that he will be destroyed in the end. 
If you want to talk about who is Satan's equal but opposite, you're probably over here talking about one of the other angels, like maybe the archangel Michael. There's a verse in, in Jude. We just talked about Jude. Let's go back there again. Jude 1.9 says this, even Michael, the archangel, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, he says this took place when Michael was arguing or fighting with the devil about Moses' body. So that happened, what, three, 4,000 years ago for us now? So this is, this is what I think the Bible's telling us. Demons are fallen angels. But I guess the more pressing question for us is, how exactly do these demons work if they do exist? How do they oppress and torment and hurt human beings? How does a spiritual being hurt us? Well, for one thing, think about it. Are we not spiritual beings also? Is it not to be human that we have a physical body joined with the spirit? And the horrible thing about death is that those two things are split apart and they were never supposed to be split apart. So you start to get an idea of how a demon can spiritually work against you. you know, the image that we often have, and I get why you would think this, we often think of demons as the thing that makes your head spin around and you spit pea soup because that's what the movies show. Or you do the, the crab walk, the spider walk, which I'm starting to, I'm freaking myself out. I'll stop. So the Bible actually says in the real world, demons attack humans in three areas. Just jot these down. First of all, they attack your mind through false teaching and just outright lies. A demon will lie to you all day long. That's what Satan does. That's what demons do. First Timothy 4.1 in the Bible says there are things that are actually taught by demons. The horrible thing is there are some pastors somewhere in the world who are teaching things that they believe to be true, their church believes to be true, but they're lies straight from the pit of hell, and demons are whispering them into their ears. So just be aware of that. John 8.44, Jesus called Satan the father of lies the father of all liars. They will also not only attack your mind, they will attack your will, your decision-making process through tempting you to sin. And then they will even attack your body physically sometimes. There's a story, true story, Matthew 17, there was a boy who was demon-possessed and his dad brought him to get help from Jesus and his disciples. And this demon would literally throw this boy into fire. He would literally make the boy toss himself into water so he would drown. Demons try to hurt people physically. Mark 5, there was a man who had been demon-possessed so long and with so many demons that he was living in a cemetery. Nobody could bring him back to town. He was naked. He would cut himself with rocks and scream. Poor guy. Look what they're doing to him. Uh, Mary Magdalene, Jesus took seven demons out of her. And, and that was in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. In Luke 13... There was a woman in church when Jesus went to synagogue who hadn't been able to stand up straight for 18 years. Think about that. 18 years of that, bound by Satan. Now, not all demonic activity is possession. If you think, well, as long as I don't get possessed, I'm okay. Not so fast. There's actually a whole range. If over here is being possessed by a demon and they're doing horrible things to you and through you and you have no control... Well, you can even have just demonic oppression where the spirit is just trying to, to oppose you. Or just in the very simplest, when you're being tempted to sin, all of us have something within us that wants to sin. We're all fallen. We're all sinners, like Jake talked about at communion time. But there is also spirits that entice us to do wrong and whisper things in your ear. So I'm not saying it's all Satan. I'm not saying it's all demons, but there is some of that. And so this is why Christians and people here at Connection, I tell you this all the time, I want you engaged with this. I want you to learn the truth. I want you to have something to protect yourself and counteract. Because here, when you become a Christian, you don't get a free pass. You get a bigger target. Because Satan can't take God out. He already tried, and he's losing. The next best thing is to go after those who are created in the image of God, you and me. And he can try to hurt God by hurting us. And so he's going to come after you. Let me ask you a question. Totally changed gears, but this is a good analogy for me. How many of you have computers? Yeah, like everybody, right? How many of you 
this is church, so you can be honest, it's a safe place. How many of you do not have antivirus software on your computer? Yeah, it's okay, you're in a safe place, but I do want to remind you, this is in 1998, this is 2018. We all do know there are such a thing as like malware, spyware, identity theft. There are hackers in their parents' basement waiting to get into your computer and, and do all kinds of bad things. There are people in government buildings in China and wherever, who knows, they're trying to get... so. If you're smart and using a computer for the sake of all of us, and you're the 50% of Americans in 2018 who admit that they don't have antivirus software on their computer, so you're not alone if you feel bad, get some antivirus software on your computer. And then make the analogy, if you know that there are evil, malevolent spirits in the world who want your destruction on a daily basis and working hard toward it, don't you want to get some antivirus software inside of you to protect yourself against that? So here's how I would say you do that. If you're thinking about this, how do you protect yourself against demonic attack? You can't even see them. How do you protect yourself? Well, let me read this. This is out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. It says, first of all, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So hey, write this down. If you want to protect your mind, you protect your mind with truth. Because it is really hard to lie to somebody who knows the truth. Am I right? The more you know of God's truth, the better protected you are against a demon who is lying to you and telling you things that are horrible, that you should hurt yourself, that you don't matter, that somebody else is all totally against you. You hear those lies and you just go, well, I know the truth of God's word. I know what he says about me. I'm not going to listen to that. I like to share a lot of Bible whenever I teach because I am telling you truth, and I want us to all embrace that. I was talking to Jeff Hosey about this the last couple of weeks, and he says one of the things his mom has really been good at is learning and memorizing a lot of scripture, and she uses that actively to counteract anything that comes into her mind that's just definitely a lie. It contradicts the Bible, therefore it must be a lie. So you protect yourself. Ephesians 6.14 says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now here's, that leads into number two, protect your will, protect yourself from temptation by following the Holy Spirit's guidance. I'm not going to listen to a demonic spirit, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And this is also out of, of Galatians, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I'm going to take it down to the third thing here. Protect your body, literally your body, by refusing to participate in demonic practices. And you say, well, what would that be? Because I don't go out and worship demons. No, but things that are involved with the occult, anything that pertains to idolatry, bowing down to a statue, don't seek out supernatural information. You're kind of starting to tread into that area when you're looking at a horoscope. You're trying to find divine, supernatural guidance from a source other than God. You're putting yourself into dangerous territory. Don't get a Ouija board and ask the spirits to talk to you. You're opening a door that you may not be able to close. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians in the Bible. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19, and 20, Paul has been talking to this church, and there's a lot of idolatry in their, their city, so they understand this. And so he's telling them, don't get involved in that to Christians. And then he says in verse 19, am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not God, and I don't want you participating with demons. Just leave it alone. And here's the fourth thing. For, protect your mind with truth. Protect yourself from temptation with the Holy Spirit's guidance. Protect your body by refusing to participate in the occult. Place yourself under the authority of Jesus, number four. I want to go back to Mark, where we started as we close this out. 
I know it's weird for a demon to be in church. You're like, did he not realize where he was? Did that demon really, like, think about that before he went to synagogue? Here's my theory. I may be wrong, but that man who was possessed by that demon may have exercised the last little bit of control that he had over his own life to get himself to church. I want to talk to you for a second. If you're here this morning and you're not really sure why you're here and you're just waiting for somebody to figure out that you really shouldn't be here, you should be here. You got yourself to a place where God is real and active. And I'm telling you, there's so many people in this church who can tell a story of what God has freed them from because they placed themselves under the authority of Jesus. So whatever it is you're up against, it doesn't matter. God's more powerful. Just watch how this worked out. So this is, um, this is verse 25. So this, you know, the demon's like, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus just says, be quiet, shut up. Jesus said it sternly, come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek. If you were there that morning, just imagine that. Would you have any doubt in your mind who was in charge in that room? Is the demon in charge? Was there like this long, drawn-out, three-hour three battle with a crucifix and holy water, and Jesus goes, get out, and then Jesus is thrown back against the no, shut up, get out, go, and the demon has to go. There's no question. The authority in the room is Jesus. He has absolute authority. Wherever Jesus goes, he has absolute authority. He is in charge. Word got out. So just picture this. It's the Sabbath, Saturday morning. They're in synagogue. It's the day of Jewish worship. They're done with church. They go home. Jesus goes to dinner with some of the guys. That night, when Sabbath is over and people could start traveling again, this is down in verse 32, Mark chapter 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. What's going to happen? This is cool. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Notice that? Some things really are sickness. Not everything is a demon, but some things are demonic. And because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow the demons to speak. Why did Jesus not allow the demons to say, I know who you are? Because it's not a demon's job to tell people who Jesus is. That's our job. You shut up, demon. My people will tell who I am, and you're done. Because Jesus has absolute authority, and you need to turn your life over to him. Any baseball fans remember Babe Ruth? If you remember Babe Ruth, you're pretty old. He's an old New York Yankees player. I grew up just in awe of Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and all those guys. So Babe Ruth, one huge home run hitter, just a great baseball player. He was at bat, and uh, he watched a ball go by. It was clearly a ball. And the umpire, also coincidentally named Babe, Babe Pirelli, he called it a strike, third strike. Babe Ruth, you're out. Babe Ruth was just stood there like, really? Looked at him. The whole crowd, 40,000 people, so stunned. Nobody even booed, but it was clear, like, he got that call wrong. Babe finally said, you know, you got that call wrong. That, was a, that wasn't a strike, that was a ball. And Babe Pirelli says, yeah, maybe, but my opinion is the only opinion that counts. This morning, the only opinion that counts is Jesus. And I'm telling you, whatever it is you're up against, the smartest thing you can do right now is to submit to his authority, to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I need you to heal me from things that I cannot heal myself from. And he'll do it. He won't stick his finger in your face and say, like, it's about time. He won't say, you know what, I've got help for everybody but you. He will help you. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me and to think about what it is that you need to do next in regards to Jesus. This is a church where you can do that. You can get your life 
connected with Jesus. And I can tell you, he's changed my life and he can change your life. So you think about that, and if there's something that you're moved to do to connect to Jesus, we have our elders here, our pastors are here, and we'll pray with you and we'll talk after the service is over. But right now, just be prayerful and thinking about what is it that God wants you to do next.